Defense Matters, a podcast about defense, technology, and the power of that movement. An Israel Defense production in association with IAI. Hello, welcome to Defense Matters, a podcast about all matters of defense and why they matter. I'm your host, Aaron Heller. I hope you've been enjoying our journey into all matters of security, technology, military and strategic affairs, and everything in between. Every episode, we've been delving into a different element in the current climate and analyzing it with a featured guest. By now, we've got a growing archive of episodes, so we hope you've been had a chance to check it out uh, anywhere you get your podcast. On this podcast, we've talked a lot about Israel, the United States, the Arab world, Europe. One thing we haven't done, which we're going to focus today, is take a deep dive on something that's gone a bit under the radar, and that's China and its growing influence here in Israel. As a growing superpower, China has been reaching out to all parts of the world uh, to spread its influence, mostly in Africa, Asia, the developing world. But Israel has been no exception, and their interests run deep over here. For example, as part of its uh, maritime Silk Road and Belt and Road Initiative, it's already invested in the Tunva Dairy Company, in the uh, Haifa and Ashdod ports, in the Tel Aviv light rail system, and in a lot of tech and pharma companies as well. So. What does all this mean for Israel? What are the Chinese interests? What kind of dangers uh, could it pose down the road? For that, I'm really pleased to be joined today by Caris Witte, uh, the founder and executive director of Signal, a Sino-Israel Research Institute. Caris, thanks for joining us. Very happy to be here and very happy to have an opportunity to talk about China, which usually does go under the radar in Israel. So thank you very much. All right, so let's start with the big picture. Um, we know about China globally. Um, what does it want and what is, is, how does Israel really fit to that picture? So Israel is an important component when we're talking about the Middle East. And there are factors about Israel that are not necessarily well known. So first of all, one important aspect of Israel's history and, and situation is our relationship with the United States. So the fact that we do have this close and special relationship with the United States does matter to China. China sees Israel as, uh, in, in one way, a conduit to the United States and also a way to um, put, put the U.S. Uh, to sort of give it a slap on the hand. As we saw last year in 2021 when there was the Gaza War, it just so happened that in May, China had the presidency of the Security Council and Wang Yi, the foreign minister, tried to, did call for a vote of the Security Council to end the war early before Israel felt it had secured its, its position and its people and uh, basically the military doing what it needed to do. Uh, it was the United States that vetoed that uh, vote. And uh, as a result, the Chinese said the U.S. was on the wrong side of morality for supporting Israel. So we can see from this that uh, Israel has a value um, uh, both in the positive and the negative. On the positive side, it does look for innovation here. Uh, it has done uh, infrastructure projects which uh, help China, and I think this is a little bit less known, but help China know how to work in an OECD country. They, um, I, I would say they underbid on many of these projects, and certainly in the early years, it helped them learn how to advance their ability to meet those high levels of regulations so they could in the future go to the EU and get the projects that will actually bring uh, a lot of profit. We know, though, about the, the Belt and Road Initiative and the Maritime Silk Road, that they're doing this in a lot of countries trying to sort of like get an in through the national infrastructure. Um, 
is in Israel, is there like a particular interest or is this sort of part of a global strategy they have for everywhere in the world? I wouldn't say it's to get an in through infrastructure. Originally, you know, in all, for China, it's never black and white. Everything evolves. So it started out really as an idea. In fact, in general, in China, the leader will make a statement, a tifa in Chinese, uh, a kind of concept. And then over the next period of time, year or two, the uh, usually the intellectual elites and the policy advisors will inject um, meaning into that. The first reason for the Belt and Road was really to use the overcapacity in steel production and construction, et cetera, and uh, locally, Central Asia, areas that are not too far outside of China. But as it grew and evolved, it did turn into an access point around the world, which augmented China's already strong economic uh, relationship with almost every country. You know, China is the largest trading partner of practically every country in the Middle East. It has been the largest investor in the Middle East since 2016. When Belt and Road investment by China was going uh, was was on a downward trajectory over the last couple of years in the Middle East, it increased. So the Middle East is important, and Israel is known, uh, Israel and the UAE, two pillars of China's effort in, in the Middle East. So what's Israel getting out of it? It's getting investments, right? There's a financial upside. What else? So um, I think it's a bit misunderstood. The actual, it, it, Israel did want money, you know, to, to make money through investment, through sales. Uh, but the actual numbers are not as large as they, uh, as the Im image, as the optics. But because China was not a player in Israel for such a long time, and suddenly what became a player, and suddenly did have uh, significant investments, they got a lot more attention and and were given a lot more credibility or credit than they necessarily warranted in the context of U.S. investments, EU investments, which are still far, far beyond what China does. Uh, but what Israel gets is, is a very good question, because I don't think Israel's given a lot of thought. I mean, Israel, the establishment, uh, up until recently, uh, as to what it actually wants from China beyond that, you know, financial economic relationship. Uh, so Israel has gotten low-cost infrastructure, and it has gotten some investment money. And it is very important to have a relationship with China because China is clearly a, uh, a rising superpower that is not going anywhere. And every country needs to have a good working relationship with China. Okay, well, that's the upside. What about the price? There's got to be a cost the bill that you're going to have to pay eventually. And do you think there is one for Israel by giving up its uh, control of its national infrastructure and companies? I mean, is there? It's a, not giving know? up control. Okay. Uh, I think that that's a misconception. First of all, in Ashdod, the port they built the port and left. In Haifa, it's true they are running the port for 25 years, but they brought a lot of added value in in super high tech management of that port, and there's a lot of security oversight because uh, because Israel is very security oriented. You could say it's because the United States, especially during the Trump era, era made a big deal over the port being a threat, a danger. Uh, but actually, Israel is very on top of its security needs and had done a security review. And um, I think that the biggest challenge for Israel, and it could become a danger, I suppose, if, if it's left untended in the long term, is a lack of understanding of China. How does China work? What is Chinese statecraft? Uh, one of the things that has come up in the news is that there's like police stations, Chinese police stations around the world and in Israel. There's no police station 
You know, it's not like a building with a bunch of, quote, policemen. It is the United Front Work Department. This is a ministry in China. It's very well known in Asia. It's almost not known at all in Israel and the rest of the world. But it's it's official. And they send, uh, their job is to um, engage overseas Chinese for the benefit of the PRC, to advance PRC interests, PRC policy in their local countries and and. Government. Yeah, when you say police stations overseas, when it seems like or reports that they're spying on their citizens, it sounds kind of nefarious. Well, it does, but that is through our perception. But the Chinese always police each other all over China historically. It is um, something, it's just like a done thing that, that this happens and everybody of, you know, the Chinese community is aware of it. So they are keeping an eye. There are people, there are Chinese who are likely appointed also in Israel by someone in China from the United Front Work Department to keep an eye on the local Chinese and make sure that they're, you know, putting out the right messaging and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let's talk specifically in Israel. We talk about the ports and there's a light rail, but particularly about Pnuva, which is a big thing. It's Israel's largest food company, if I'm mistaken. Is there a uh, concern that with China's influence over there when it comes to like, you know, food shortages down the road, climate change, I mean, they have like a say really in a huge element of the Israeli economy here. First of all, um, I believe that uh, there are other food options for Israel. And we are not so dependent on one company. Second of all, China has no interest in manipulating the food industry of Israel in general. Uh, China gets certain benefits from having the company. Um, it, it has not, I don't think it's had any kind of real effect. But what we should note is that, for example, um, Israel did award the Chinese consortium the food tech uh, incubator uh, tender in um, Kiryat Shmone, and uh, that is a uh, an opportunity for China to access a lot of advanced uh, food technology that we hope will come into Israel, but perhaps will end up in China because China has a con- specific historical concern about food security. They have not been, or I should say, there was hunger in China until 30 years ago. And only in the recent 30 years, they've had more than enough food. During uh, COVID, President Xi called for the clean plate policy because there were so many factors, a perfect storm of a reduction in access to food. And I won't go into all the details, but it's thing after thing from swine flu to floods to worms that led to a reduction in access to food. So national security includes food security for China. And one of the things, you know, I talked about not understanding China. It's very important for Israel to understand China's needs, its concerns, its fears, its challenges, as well as its level of power. You know, one of the things that uh, always impresses Israelis especially, and including me, because it's hard to get over the scale. You know, China is is 1.4 billion people, you talk to a, a, a mayor of a city, and you're talking to someone who's managing 25 million people. And we all know, you know, that's two and a half times the size of Israel in one city, not to mention a 100 million person uh, province. And there are many provinces. So uh, China has a scale that can lead to a shock and awe image. 
and it seems quite overwhelming. And I think it's important for Israel to know China well enough to be able to put everything in proportion and address its policy accordingly. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned fear. Let's talk about the fear of maybe somebody else, too, because naturally when Israel's getting closer to China, it's going to raise suspicions in the United States as well. So how are the Americans responding to, in particular, these investments, and in general, the fact that Israel is no longer entirely dependent, let's say, on the Americas, it has more interests in China as well? That is an outstanding question. Uh, really, this is a huge factor for Israel, and I would say it's unfortunate that Israel has to um, continue to be as dependent on the U.S. as it is. I think it's important for Israel to be as independent as it can be. And uh, it, it's doing a better and better job of diversification, not only with China, but with all of Asia. And, and I think uh, the, currently, the current elected uh, prime minister, uh, Netanyahu, did a very good job uh, over the previous 10 to 15 years of starting to expand our relationship with Asia. Uh, but when it comes to China, you are right. Uh, it is now a deeply bipartisan uh, issue, a complete agreement between Democrats and Republicans that China is a serious problem. Um, I'm told by the Americans that there is a kind of China fear. And it means that the atmosphere in Israel, especially in the business community, is what can we actually do? You know, the, the Americans are not uh, clear on their own strategy. They're not giving us clear red lines. And it ends up that Israel can barely talk about China without upsetting the Americans. This is a serious issue because we do need to continue our relationship with China. And the U.S. should want us to because, first of all, the U.S. is doing a tremendous amount of business with China as we speak, as all of these sanctions, uh, not sanctions, I'm sorry, restrictions on chips, for example. The, the most widespread restrictions we've ever seen, I think, in the history of our lifetime that include not only the chips, but all the equipment, all the people who work in the sectors all over the world, if they're Americans, they cannot do anything with well, China. Well, you mentioned the chips. That was going to be the next question, because when it comes to high tech and, and the role in the trade where the silicon chips is a big thing, right? it's like that's the next fuel, so to speak. And so, and we know that Taiwan plays a, a big part in the chips. So can you talk in particular about like, you know, the, the scarcity of, of silicon chips and the battle over that? And where does Israel fit in that as a high tech power when you talk about you know, America versus China, Taiwan, that whole axis. You are absolutely right. This is one of the most critical issues that technology is at the heart of the U.S.-China rivalry. And Israel is a tech superpower in by many definitions, putting us very much in the crosshairs of that uh, competition between the two. Uh, Israel's work in the area of chips is going to come under greater scrutiny by the U.S. over time, probably in the short term. Certainly, any Americans who are, you know, like I personally am American, if I happen to work in the chip industry, regardless of the fact that I'm also Israeli, I would have to uh, um, follow those restrictions. So I think that uh, what's going to happen is the U.S. and and Israel in you know they recently had a their first strategic dialogue on technology, and um, uh, the Malal head Hulata, who I think he has a Ph.D. in physics, uh, was a wonderful representative, and uh, Minister Farkash brought her team from the Innovation uh, Authority or the You're referring to the National Security Council. 
Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, so right, right. They were two excellent people to be in the room for that discussion on technology because one of the critical issues is who's talking to whom when you are dealing with the tech question regarding China, US, Israel triangle. Do we have lawyers in the room or do we have people who understand tech? And do we have China experts in the room? In my opinion, and I hope it's the case that they had a China expert from both Israel and the US because that will help decide how the policy evolves. So two things. First of all, I remember there was a big crisis about 20 years ago over the selling of SPY, the Falcon uh, surveillance plans to Israel to China. And back then, Israel was doing the deal. The Americans put pressure. Israel sort of panicked, and it pulled back and canceled the deal. Um, but that was 20 years ago. And China, the relationship's different now. China is more powerful, America less so. So if something like that were to happen again today, Israel probably wouldn't be as quick to sort of pull the plug, would it? That is not uh, uh, the case. First of all, because of the Falcon and Harpy crises in 2000 and 2004, Israel no longer has any military relationship, uh, selling military anything to China. And if it's dual, potential dual use, then it goes through a process of review. And if it gets approved, and, and, and that does include the US, it can be sold to China. So there is no uh, relationship on defense sales in any way whatsoever. That isn't going to repeat itself. On the other hand, if you're talking about the U.S. saying cancel a deal and, and Israel caving, we can look at the Haifa port. Uh, now, that uh, was told to be a national security issue, and uh, we didn't see it as a national security issue. Israel stood its ground, uh, respected U.S. needs and concerns, did more investigation into security, and in the end of the day, the Chinese are still running the Haifa port. Yeah, but the Americans are still putting enough pressure that now Israel's just passed a decision to tighten government oversight on foreign investments. So they still do have an impact. That, they, of yeah. course they have an impact. Yeah. They have an oversized impact. But on the other hand, that investment review committee is useful for Israel's national security. Israel has to worry about its own relationship with China when it comes to its interests, its national security, and not only on the investments coming in, but on what we are selling. And uh, I think that little by little, Israel's going to recognize more and more, and it is advancing in its understanding, you know, the government is making a lot of progress, that Israel uh, needs to oversee all of its relationship with China in a comprehensive, coordinated fashion. And in that way, we can hold our own and gain benefits in the re direct relationship, the bilateral relationship with China and Israel. Excellent. Really fascinating stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Carice. And we'll be right back with Game Changer. Break, break, break. Welcome back. It's time for our Game Changer section. And today we're going to look at a new gunfire detection system developed by IAA called Othello P. And for that, I'm very pleased to be joined by Asher Abish, the direct, regional director of marketing and sales at Elta Land Division. Asher, good to have you with us today. Thank you. Good to be with you. And I see that you're in Seoul, Korea. So thanks for joining us long distance. Um, let's start yeah, off, first of all, about this yeah. gunfire detection system. Why is there even a need for a new gunfire detection system? So uh, most of the traditional uh, systems uh, have a lot of limitations, operational limitations, which create a situation where uh, in the hybrid new uh, theater, uh, fighting zones are very limiting uh, the fighting forces and there was a need for a new 
uh, era in detecting the shooter location and having uh, like an early warning uh, on those shots. The main problems were uh, most of the traditional systems were acoustics only and acoustics only have its own limitations and that have its benefits, but it has a lot of limitations where fighting is happening now, both in uh, urban areas, open areas, uh, where the new system will enable uh, fighting forces to get the right detection and location in all areas, in all conditions. It just sounds like that would really help them also lower casualties too, because they'll know uh, the source of the fire. It's, uh, it, give, it gives them a, a big benefit in, in few aspects. The, the first one is uh, I'm going to know the fire location, the shooter location, and then I have a lot less uh, collateral damage. Because uh, in the old days, when somebody shoots at you and you don't know where the shot is coming from, or you don't have a reliable location, then uh, what you do, you take your gun and you shoot all over the place in order to try and... Uh, maybe luckily hit something. Uh, when you have such a system, which has a reliable uh, location uh, of the shooter, then you can slew to queue, identify the source, make sure you're not hitting anyone else. You can save lives, both on the area where you shoot and also in your area. In quite a lot of cases, the first shot uh, that uh, uh, someone shoots at you, it doesn't hit on the first time. So, so you may have enough time to uh, identify the location. So it sounds like Othello P could be a real game changer in the battlefield. Um, has it been deployed in anywhere? I mean, it seems like this is something that could come in handy in Ukraine and other places. The system uh, is going to be deployed uh, early uh, this year, which is a few days. Uh, finished operational testing. Uh, of course, we cannot uh, detail where and to whom, but it's going to be deployed in the field uh, very, very soon. And uh, the uniqueness of it uh, will come uh, into the battlefield uh, pretty soon. Uh, it's, uh, and I forgot to mention previously, it's a, it's a mixture between uh, uh, optic special sensor detection with an acoustic uh, uh, system fused together to get the benefits uh, from both uh, systems. Excellent, Asher. Sounds very interesting and fits totally into our Game Changers section here. So thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, where this plays out. Most welcome. Well, that does it for this episode of Defense Matters. Thank you for joining us for all of our guests today and throughout this whole season. We're on a bunch of different platforms. You can see us on Anchor, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts. So wherever you get your podcasts, please follow, subscribe. We hope you enjoyed this season thus far. I'm Aaron Heller, signing off for now. Hope to see you soon on Defense Matters.